Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to our Wrestle Dream Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by Michael Hamlet and Andy Murray from What Culture to look ahead to this weekend's Wrestle Dream pay-per-view and give you our predictions. But before we get into the matches, Andy Murray, we should probably deal with the biggest rumor heading into the show. We talked about it on the news this morning. Will Edge show up on Sunday? I don't think Edge will show up on Sunday, but I think Sexton Hardcastle might just. It's all very exciting, this, isn't it? Wrestling jumps are back. It's 2023. Um, Four years ago, AEW's birthed several years. It was jumps one way, largely, right? You know, certain people who've been cut by WWE are going to show up in AEW and they're going to be uh, maybe a better version of themselves, uh, provided they can make it on television consistently. (laughs) Now it's opened back up again with Cody Rhodes uh, going back to WWE and being such a success and WWE being a more attractive proposition as a result of the creepy old man no longer running the creative show and his slightly less creepier son-in-law running the show. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm taking the piss. Uh, it's a more attractive proposition. So we've got Jade going over there. We've got rumors abound of Ricky Starks. And look, I think it's very clever of Cody Rhodes to use a Ricky Starks gif on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Not that I'm reading into things too much. Um, it's an incredibly exciting landscape. As far as people who could go to AEW, the two most exciting names within that landscape are Edge and Mercedes Monet mm-hmm. for me, uh, personally. And, um, I mean, I could apply, I could give you some logical reasons why Edge might not show up on Sunday. His contract expires that day. Uh, I could, uh, you know, give you the cynical side. Uh, I could be realistic about it, but this is all far too exciting uh, for me to do that. So I'm not going to pour any cold water on anyone's predictions because I too feel like he's going to show up and it's going to be sick. Is it as straightforward of having him show up in and around the Christian Cage match or would you have him just completely separate on this show? I love that because um, I've long campaigned for Edge and Christian to be able to work together in AEW with this current version of the Christian Cage character. He is so awful (laughs) that Edge is pretty much the last guy alive that would be able to go to bat for him. And this is somebody that has been turned on by Christian in the past anyway. So it already takes something to be like, well, I forgave him a few times. It's it's Chris. You just got to put up with him, and then everybody going, "No, we don't, Edge." Like you've not been around much. You've not seen. You think he's bad. Wait till you see what he's actually done. You think you know him? Yeah. You, yeah. There we go. I'm all for Edge uh, appearing on the show, whether it be a Sex and Hardcastle or simply Adam. I don't know, but <laughs> I think you avoid that conversation entirely, and you do something that we've seen Edge do before, which is spear somebody through a table wearing a bike helmet, and then you pulls off the bike helmet. <laughs> To reveal, we know who that is, but we don't know why he's here. You can play with the name. and You give yourself a few days, basically. Like Excalibur saying, that's Adam Copeland is enough. 
You don't need an entrance theme. We can save Addicted to Paint or Dynamite. Uh, you don't need an official name. That can be revealed. Like, what is Adam Copeland doing in AEW? That's an enormous graphic for Dynamite um, or whenever you want to promote him for. Mm. And that's where you iron out the little creases of the fact that Edge is going to work somewhere that isn't WWE for the first time since he was last Sexton Hardcastle in WCW. You yeah. know, like, this is huge. This is when Cody went to WWE. He went back when so many of the people that Murray mentioned went to AEW. They, if anything, were given more of their characters than what was like Keith Lee didn't have to have a stupid nickname in a singlet anymore. For example, he could be the Keith Lee that people loved from the Indies in NXT. This is new ground yet again because the one thing he can't be is the one thing that he's been known as as good as forever. Yeah. So that is unique. And it'd be like, like, it'd be like getting The Undertaker, but Edge is a better worker. Basically, <laughs> like you'd be bringing him in as like big dead Mark instead of all of these years where he's been a big alive Mark. Like they'd have to come, like they'll have to come up with something for Edge, but you're getting the man, you're getting the performer and you get the reveal without having to figure that stuff out. If anything, the mystery of that, I think is what draws people to Wednesday. And will Christian Cage still be TNT champion at the end of this show? Two out of three falls match with Darby Allen. I think so. I, uh, I think he beats Darby Allen. I, They've done so well. It's uh, It speaks to the strength of them as individual promos and when they work together to somehow take a match that was absolutely dead and finished, as in somebody was stuffed in a coffin at Wembley Stadium and have them rematch on Collision last week and have them have a two out of three falls match in a pay-per-view and make you want it. I think that's a real credit to the pair of them. Darby Allen is uh, proof that you can get over without going over over and over again. Yeah. Darby Allen got stronger in AW through repeated losses to Cody Rhodes. These defeats never hurt. He's simply too popular, too powerful a character, and too well booked, truthfully, yes. to ever suffer the uh, the damage of these defeats. Um, and I think Cage with this title has loads of... It's not even unfinished business. He needs to start new business and finish some of that instead. There are too many wrestlers with dead relatives. Don't take <laughs> the title off Christian Cage. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. I do. I think these are two of the most perfectly pushed wrestlers of the year. Uh, in terms of their individual roles in the company and stuff. And obviously this year we've seen a lot more from Darby um, based on what he can do on the microphone and stuff. In, in short bursts, he's really, really effective as kind of like a fired up, snarling baby face. Um, we've seen that side of him come out this year. Uh, and Christian, oh my God, he might be the best heel of all time. Uh, maybe not of all time, but you know, certainly one of the most effective ones in wrestling right now. He's completely despicable. He's the worst guy in the universe. I hate him, I love him. Um, he's a joy to watch every single week. I saw somebody put the point and I don't like giving volume to like the, you know the bad takes out there but I saw someone in bad faith arguing that, that Christian Cage should be voted uh, most disgusting promotional tactic of 2023 because it's exploiting death by targeting people's parents who have passed away and stuff perfect counterpoint to that was yes he should win that award and he should parade it around on dynamite like it's a <laughs> yeah. championship alongside uh, the tnt title i think this has been something of a rehabilitative reign for a belt that desperately needed it mm -hmm. and yes i am including uh, the luchasaurus reign as christian cages because that was a wonderful <laughs> character arc um he should win he will win uh darby is uh, like hamlet said he's eternally over he's bulletproof uh, christian is in one of the best runs of his career uh, and it's a long ass career and it should continue this yeah, way. I want Christian Cage to win for all the reasons you've laid out there and because it frees Darby Allen up. I basically just want this new version of MJF to face all the people he's faced in the past, but with this new dynamic of like, 
Is he a good guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to him in the handicap match in due course, Andy. But before we talk about that, from the TNT Championship to the TBS Championship, uh, Julia Hart had a great match with, with a Willow Nightingale on Dynamite. She now challenges Chris Statlander on Sunday. Yeah, this is cool. This is the the build to this match is reminiscent of the AEW stuff that I that I most connected with when the the company was birthed really um julia's won something like was it 26 27 mm. matches we're on to now in a row quietly in the background she's built up this steam she's uh it, it kind of goes hand in hand with her in-ring improvement and her development as a pro wrestler and her growth into this role in the house of black uh those two things go perfectly hand in hand and now we've reached this point where the lines are intersecting and uh she gets to challenge uh the fighting champion that is chris statlander who is one of the most consistent in-ring performers in the entire company this is the kind of storyline that they would have previously used the rankings to build when they were around uh, and i wish they were still around because they were a very useful sporting framework to add to a promotion that is meant to be predicated more on sport-like presentation, this is a feud that fits that. Obviously, um, you then have the character stuff on top of that, where Julia, I think she's found her calling in this role in the House mm. of Black. Like, she's obviously a very young wrestler who will continue to get better and better as she, as she progresses through the sport. But, like, the way she applies her finishing submission hold and stuff, it, it completely complete U-turn from the, the cheerleader character yeah. she was doing with the, the blondes before. So... I think this is just a really nice piece of matchmaking. I've really enjoyed Chris's run uh, with the belt so far. It's a, a totally different flavor to the Jade defenses, which were more uh, predicated on spectacle than work rate. Statlander is one of the best wrestlers in the company. You flipped it around. Uh, it's just really good, solid mid-card booking. Uh, I'm 100% into it. This is the kind of boring stuff I really enjoy. Uh, I say boring as a compliment. I like the simple <laughs> the simple framework. Uh, I think Statlander goes over, um, but Julia, they've done a really good job of elevating her and it, how old she's like early 20s yeah. her peak years in wrestling are a long long time away and there's plenty of time for her to come back and dethrone a statlander in the future yeah like murray's right to mention rankings here i think them spotting that stat was the last person to beat julia hart what like a year and a half 18 months ago was a very happy accident but everything since then has been absolutely by design so something that somebody might have picked up on six to eight weeks ago has then been Right, well, we have a six to eight week run up of this match. Why would we not do it? So then you keep Julia Hart on a winning run, but it's not one that lives in the shadows of um, what used to be Dark and Elevation and it isn't something that you see on television on Dynamite, Rampage, and Collision. Uh, and she is hitting her first peak as a wrestler and as a character at exactly the right time. This is this is like a lovely micro example to me of you hear wrestlers say it all the time, like, give me the ball and let me run with it. It's still really hard to do that because wrestling is such a collaborative process between the wrestlers and the creative team. A wrestler on their own can only do too much, can only do so much. But this is an example of um, Julia Hart running with that ball and then the rest of the system supporting that charge to this title match. Statlander's job over the last couple of months has been to present herself as a credible champion. She's done that. Julia Hart's job was a much harder one. Be the credible challenger so that it's not just that we're saying that you are, it's that you actually are one. Like, we can tell them that you're credible. The last person that you lost to was Chris Statlander, but kind of you've got to show them mm -hmm. too. Her in-ring has, like, I, I want to say it's come on leaps and bounds, but I personally think it's a character work. I think the moves were always there, but she's understood 
like never before, I would say in the last couple of months, how important applying who she is as a character to her moves are. The perfect example of this is that upside down spider suplex thing she now does. Not just how great that was at, hang on, if I look a bit creepy upside down, that makes this move a character-based move rather than just a suplex. But now with the fact that she's counted out of that with a top rope moonsault press, she's added a finisher to her arsenal on this week's Dynamite, which we used to credit like John Moxley with all yeah. the time. This is really, really strong character and in-ring work from a person that I think will lose. I think Statlander yeah. will win, but that can be okay. The problem with AEW is always the follow-up, isn't it? Like people do fall off and disappear or they've had their nice six weeks and then it's like, right, thanks everybody for caring. Off they go. I would really like um, Julie, this to be Julia Hart's moment where she becomes as integral to the House of Black as the three men themselves. Mm-hmm. And like whatever whatever she was in the past as the kind of like the fourth person in this trio, she's kind of proven herself as integral mm. as the wrestlers themselves. I this think is, she's already there. I think she was, but I just think that's AEW's tendency to like marginalize certain characters. Let's be honest, women more than men. Like I really hope that her push, if you can call it that, is sustained when she loses. I think she will lose. Don't forget to let us know your thoughts, your predictions uh, on this show, on the matches, in the comment section below. And by the way, if you're a fan of watching us preview this, we're going to do loads more of this sort of thing on our very own YouTube channel, What Culture Wrestling Podcast on YouTube. Go over there, go subscribe. And on Tuesday next week, we're going to be doing a live Wrestle Dream review. Uh, the Daddy Boys also answering all your questions surrounding it as well. So go over and subscribe to that one. I think it's a fairly straightforward result, though, Chris Statlander. Uh, versus Julia Hart Hamflet. Um, in terms of uh, a men's version of that match, I think Ricky Starks versus Wheelie Uta, there's only one winner there. In theory, it should be Ricky Starks. Uh, he's had these fantastic matches with Brian Danielson, one of which was obviously as a make good for the lack of the one he didn't get against CM Punk. And I think everything pretty much from the start of Collision represents one of the best rehab jobs AEW have done all year with a character that felt like he was free-falling, quite oh, yeah. honestly. The Ricky Starks to WWE discussion wasn't just fueled by like a friendship with Cody Rhodes and what people might know about contracts. It was as much to do with what you were seeing reflected back at you mm. on television. Um, Collision's very existence seemed justified to me by the success of Ricky Starks on it. Um, and these losses as a result to Brian haven't harmed him anywhere near as much as they might have done several months ago. So... In theory now, Wheelie Uter is there to be beaten, isn't he? Wheelie Uter, as the kind of the quote-unquote weakest member of the BCC, is there to be picked off by Starks to show that he has come out of these wars a, a better and a bigger and a bolder athlete, and he, and he beats Wheelie Uter. I th- almost think it'll be more interesting if he doesn't, because I think what then is there to look into about what's going on behind the scenes? Another defeat is still a story you can tell. It's a story of, man, he's doing everything right and he just kind of put it together enough to get that one win, to get that one three count. That in itself is a story. You can do elegant losing streaks just because we've seen terrible WWE ones. It doesn't mean <laughs> that you can't do good losing streaks. Um, so I kinda, I'm kind of rooting for that because I think the conversation is more interesting. Where's he going? What's going on? Like, what's the, n- never mind kayfabe, what's the future of Ricky Starks? But I don't think that drama awaits and I do think he gets the win. I think this is his moment to, like, say, look, saw how close I came, and now I'm putting the pieces together. I would really, really love, I've said this on other podcasts, I think the winter is coming matches, MJF yeah. versus heel Ricky Starks, mm. a complete character flip from 12 months ago, but the stakes are enormous because that's going to be December, and we are all know we're thinking about what's this 2024 going to look like. I think that's the match, and I think you get towards that through Starks getting the wins. I know there's no rankings, but you have to, you, you kind of lose backwards into a world title shot. No. 
Yeah, it does feel like we're maybe a month or two away from getting a Ricky Starks contract scoop that we haven't had yet, which will enlighten his future somewhat. I know it's contract season at the end of the year in pro wrestling every year. Always a fun time <laughs> to have your, your eye on the pulse. Uh, I think Starks is going to go over. I think that for me, the most compelling Starks defeat here would be if you're going to turn him babyface again, but why would you do that yeah. uh, at the moment when he's just finding so much momentum? Uh, <laughs> I hate that word. As a heel, uh, you could do like a sympathetic, ah, oh, he's going off the rails a little bit, he's lost these matches, blah, blah, blah. But the, the Danielson matches and the Punk matches before them, obviously he won the first one, but those are like a picture-perfect example of getting over in defeat and how you elevate younger wrestlers uh, through working with the established main event level people while also having them lose and 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 learn from that at the same time um ricky is this show is just full of people who maybe had wonky periods pre-collision or in 2022 or whatever and who are now firmly back on track so you know we we've spoken about a few of them already on this show mm. uh darby certainly he's had his wavering periods uh christian cage you know we've just spoken about him started off really hot headlined a pay-per-view in AEW, went missing for like a year became like a sidekick and it was a good story but at the same time it wasn't quite at the same height no. as this mm. ricky starks is uh, is one of the main beneficiaries of collisions exist in this company um the big wheel big bill partnership is fun yeah. i do wish right i do wish that big bill and brian cage was still a thing oh, minor quibble yeah. doesn't affect this match at all unless he interferes uh i i think ricky's gonna go over he has pushed brian danielson my opinion uh out of active wrestlers the greatest of all time uh not including people who've retired uh, to the limit twice uh, I know that's an old cliche and whatever, whatever. But if you watch the matches, it's reflective yeah. of that. Um, he's got the better of CM Punk before. Obviously that, you know, he won the Owen Cup and everything else. He's in the ascendancy. He should be beating the wheelers of the, the wheeler Utahs of the yeah. world and edging closer to beating the Brian Danielsons of the world. Talking to people who've kind of lost their way or had previously before we headed into this show, Hangman Adam Page versus Swerve Strickland, the clear babyface heel dynamic but considering where we are, how do you think this is going to be received? Oh my god, this is uh, this is great. This is like a combination of characters that, uh, until it, it first happened, I hadn't even thought of crossing paths in this promotion and 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 embarking on this feud. But then, of course, when they do, it's like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Like, Swerve is a future world champion in this company. Uh, Hangman Page is one of the central figures in the entire existence of the promotion, universally uh, adored by by elite fans in particular. Um, it's a really interesting one to consider the result of because it, it, it's the highest profile singles feud of, of Swerve's career so far. Obviously, his last singles feud with Keith Lee, I guess that's technically still ongoing. Um, <laughs> it, it never really happened. Um, so it's it's really cool seeing him in this spot, and it's really cool seeing them take steps to... I believe that Swerve Strickland is transcendent talent in the making. Yeah. I think he can be bigger than pro wrestling. He's great at everything. He's a star. Um, if you've got 12 pay-per-views coming up in the year, nailed on main event for the world title, isn't Definitely. It? He's going to headline something in the next 12 months. Uh, or whatever, and it's going to be great because he's great. And 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 this feud to me, um, it's obviously Hangman's situation is obviously a little bit complicated because him and the Bucks have the Ring of Honor trios titles now as well, so he's got that cooking over in the background. But this feud to me is representative of the best version of Hangman Page, which to me is a determined, tough babyface who is aware of his frailties and insecurities and wears that wears them on his shield. On his shield? On his sleeve. Yes. You don't wear anything on your shield. <laughs> um, 
but he bites down on his mouthpiece and he mm. guts through these things and you take this journey with him, which is how he got over in the first place, the anxious millennial cowboy. Um, you clash him with just a rotten heel. Like <laughs> Stop Prince Nana from dancing. I know. Why you do that? <laughs> it's absolutely gutting. There's a man not afraid of the heat. No. <laughs> I find this match really difficult to predict. I'm going to go with Swerve because I think it would be uh, something of a shock in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And I think that Swerve is due a victory like that that immediately makes you think, oh, hell, he's a main eventer. Yeah, I don't think this is the end. And I know that sometimes strikes dread in people's heart that you're going to 50-50 this. And like, AEW, you've had a bad year for that. Like, that feeling that you kind of, you're not getting very many stories told off as, like, told, paid off as conclusively as you used to. And it does affect the future storytelling because it's like, right, can I really invest in this like I used to? Remember the old days of, like, a contender loses a title match? Back of the queue. Yeah. Like, how am I going to work my way? Hangman Page is the best example, isn't mm. it? We always talk about the Brian Cage defeat and the damage that did and the ramifications of it. And I think, like, ultimately, Swerve winning here will probably mean they will go again. We're entering the probable, you know, we haven't talked about New Era yet, but the probable 12-monthly month, 12 pay-per-views, more content, that kind of thing. You're going to need another Page and Swerve match. So I do think Swerve wins, and it's probably not over. But I think what I love the most about this, other than just how great the chemistry between the two of them has been when you've seen them promoing against each other, is like it feels like a direct response to one of the biggest criticisms of AW this year. There are too many titles, and there are too many kind of meaningless title matches as a result that you've forgotten that some of the hottest stuff on a wrestling show should be between wrestlers that want to be champions, not ones that are. Like, the days when there was only one or two belts, one was the best. One to fight for, and then when Cody brings in the TNT, all those wrestlers have got to be jockeying for position. And while they're jockeying, they find themselves accidentally sucked into emotional disputes. That's how all of this is supposed to work. We, we talked about this before. CM Punk and MJF, in my opinion, the best few in AEW history, found both men wanting a title shot, yeah. and then they bumped into each other. And look, like that, the winning that was still about, well, whoever wins this is probably the number one contender. That's how this feels. Mm. This feels like the person that wins this match is going to be first in line. And I'm, obviously that's wrestling. It's probably not going to be the case. But they will have the strongest argument for fighting MJF. Mm -hmm. That's what all of this should be for. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Well, how do you prove you're the best? I win the title. Well, I'll go and win the title then. Well, you can't because I'm in your way. Mm -hmm. So you take away the story that they've told about Swerve thinking Hangman's fat and happy and Paige saying, like, you think I'm done. You haven't met the real me yet. That's what's happened. That In wrestling, that stuff happens by accident. Mm. It's two men saying they're the best. And then out of nowhere, the emotional conflict arrives. And I love that for this. Because it was, like Maurice says, you didn't picture them coming together. But like all of AEW used to be like that. Oh my God, these two are on the roster and now they can fight each other. Mm. I had it with Jeff Jarrett and Ray Phoenix. Apparently nobody else did. Nobody watched it. But like, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, we can have a show where these two can fight each other. Like... This is what this company exists for, mm. a match like this. And the stakes feel higher as a result. There's no title on the line, but it's more than that because a lot of titles don't mean as much as what this, this match does. Yeah. You uh, both know my feelings towards Hangman Adam Page right now, and you both know my feelings towards Swerve Strickland as well. So I have to go for Swerve, especially <laughs> in Seattle. A bit biased, uh, if you ask me. And, uh, <laughs> well, it'll be intriguing to see if, you know, Hangman Page goes into business for himself again. Uh, <laughs> oh! Huh? oh. <laughs> Comment what? section, let us know what oh. you think of that down below. What the Seattle uh, locals think of all that? Yeah, Swerve has to win for me. And I think this has to be part, and I know Sidge thinks he should be the perennial uh, Ricky Steamboat. Mm. I think this is part of Hangman Page turning to the dark side as losing this match. 
When he turns, does he ever really turn? Like, aren't they a lot more elegant with Hangman to make you think like, oh, don't do that, mate, because, you know, the yeah. good guy is always lingering underneath. Mm. Yeah. It's like a sad heel turn. Yeah. Because, you know? like, uh, again, because, like, what we, what we spoke about, like, the emotional journey you've taken with this man and the way he's bored his beard, his soul yeah. to the audience throughout the entire thing. I think if, uh, if we take some good writing, mm. they pulled it off, I think it could be one of the best runs in AEW history for that heartbreaking aspect of it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As part of that, would you have the Young Bucks turn as well after they lose the four-way tag match, the AW, or the shot, sorry, at the AW World Tag Titles? What turn babyface from the heels they are currently? <laughs> like, it's the Young Bucks, the Guns, Lucha Bros, and the weird but brilliant team of uh, Orange Cassidy and Hook, of course, in that it's, match. It's Orange Hook for me. Yeah. Um, it's, I think, like, I'm not of the opinion that Orange Cassidy has been, like, parked since losing the international title. But I think it's a good faith discussion because AEW have parked a lot of talent over the years. I don't think he's one of them. I think that title loss is something that he has sold, suffered, and is now trying to move past. But I will acknowledge that if nothing really happens with him and Hook and they just float along, then that becomes more headcanon than what you're actually being served mm. on television. I think like, Trevor, was it Trevor Dame who had a quite yeah, a good like, argument about this? I think there are enough characters that basically it's as much a storyline as it is a real reality now that they're trying to get back on track. And you never really want that. You know, you never really want too many characters basically telling you on camera, I kind of suck now. I used to be all right. Like, that's that reveals a lot of, like, dicey booking along the way. I don't think Orange Cassidy is in that position, but I would start to think if this Hook team didn't immediately bear fruit. Look, he's won on Wednesday. We kind of joked about, like, how does a singles match against four other singles wrestlers build momentum for a tag? Mm. Surely you should be winning tag matches. But, like, ultimately, I do think that was a show of faith to Orange Cassidy. On the Young Bucks, by the way, I would hate them to get a title shot now because you've already kind of muddied the waters by making the Hung Bucks the Ring of Honor Trios champions. If you're immediately thrusting them back into the FTR conversation, aren't you further marginalizing some belts that already kind of have forgotten about yeah, on any yeah. given week? I just think it's a it's a dangerous thing to do, as good as you know, another Young Bucks FTR match would be. I don't think that was the time. Um 
I don't know what they're doing with the Ring of Honor belts. There's a bigger conversation that might be related to Wrestle Dream or not about this new era. Something feels fishy to me that every AW wrestler is Bobby now... Fish. <laughs> <laughs> He's back. Like, basically, Tony Khan, in like the biggest show of faith to women's wrestling ever, has basically gone, Athena, can you hold down all of Ring of Honor, please? And yeah. she's gone... Yes, and like now every other champion pretty much exists in AEW. That something's happening there, I think, which is why the books have got those belts. So yeah, I'm going with Orange Cassidy and Hook. Ooh, yes, I think with regards to the Ring of Honor titles and stuff, I definitely subscribe to the theory that something's going on. I feel like Tony is trying to shop Ring of Honor as a televised product to presumably his media partners, Warner Media. Mm-hmm. Um, hence why bigger names have these titles. Obviously, Claudio is a big name, but Eddie's got that title now. Um, they've got the trios titles. Uh, Athena's got the women's title. She's doing an incredible job with mm-hmm. that belt. Um, seems to me like there's, there's definitely some blood in that water. So with regards to this match, it's quite interesting to consider. Felt to me like Wembley should have been the start of the next great Young Bucks heel run. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of wavered a little bit, but there's every chance that they'll pull that back and it'll be a string of... Uh, disappointments that they then parlay into something bigger later down the road, which is why uh, I have to remind myself sometimes you just be a little patient with these things and let them let them cook, as the children yeah. uh, would say. This match is interesting. I think the Hook-Orange-Cassidy partnership is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, some part of my brain thinks it would have been more fun after seeing them together uh, if this was Hook and Rob Van Dam. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big problem. Like, yeah. They were so great. That, like, was, that was such a cool image. And then like there was the people posting the images of, of RVD standing with Taz. And it's yeah. like the symmetry of that is really fun. Um, I thought, I agree. I think the Orange Cassidy conversation was all made in good faith. And I think it's a fair point. Um, I do think that in Orange's case, it was very overblown this past week or so. The guy's just come off of, what, like a nine-month title reign and stuff. Uh, The story of that title reign was that he was barely held together (laughs) and unable to physically function by the end. Now, I do wish, that being said, I do wish that Orange's activity post-title loss had been continued to be about him just breaking down, like in the middle of matches, like falling over while trying to hit moves and like crumbling and like giving him that renewed sense of just, well, I, I, I overemphasize sense of adversity. Like he's got to rebuild himself now because that's a really good way to de-emphasize someone, but for a storyline purpose. So they build their way back up. Um, I don't think they've done that as adequately as I would like. That's just me nitpicking. I think that, yes, Cassidy and Hook are the most compelling option for this because it's new. Uh, it's different. It's fresh. It's weird. It's really weird. <laughs> I'm into it. The FTR match is funny in my yeah. headlight as well. Yeah, like... exactly. And um, I think, like, I've been pretty impressed with Hook this year. Hot debut when he first came in, having those squashes. A lot of those squashes were really, really sick. But he definitely went off mm. uh, a little while after the Danhausen stuff imploded for me. Um this year, uh, there's been definite signs of improvement in the guy. I think that the Jack Perry match uh, was his best match to date. Um, yes, plunder match, whatever, whatever. There's always smoke and mirrors, but there's smoke and mirrors in every aspect of pro wrestling. The mirrors just probably should be made of fake glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I'm. My point is I'm really intrigued to see what Dax and Cash do with him. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the most interesting option. I want three things from this match. Number one, it to be the catalyst for a, a Young Bucks turn. Number two, I agree with both of you. I think uh, Orange Cassidy and Hook should win. And number three, the reveal that Hook, as part of this team, now has pockets in his fight shorts. Ooh. Oh, yes. I like that. 
And the thing is, you, you talk about, I, we, we all agree, I think, that the Orange Cassidy Hook title match should be against FTR, but arguably them winning Ooh. doesn't spoil the tag team title match, does it? Because they could quite it's just as easily Andy face Aussie Open who are fighting FTR for the titles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the again, this is a really simple match in terms of build. Uh, for a lot of wrestling fans, are, are, and FTR will be included in this, obviously, because we're in the bloody match. It'll be, hey, they had that uh, really acclaimed match in the UK last year. They're now going to do it on a bigger stage in America. Uh, and maybe the people who didn't see that, who are AEW viewers, are, are, are going to get a replication of that level of, of quality. People loved that match. It was getting a greatest tag team match of all time levels of hype. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the style it was wrestled and the level of heat in the building and the way it was laid out and everything else, you can see why. Mm. Like, even someone who's not as attuned to that style of wrestling can probably look at it and go, yes, I understand why uh, 99% of the people who, who watched this thought it was one of the greatest things they've ever seen. Um, they're going to try and replicate that on pay-per-view. Um I think that the AEW setting will help quite a bit. This is not the biggest show in AEW history, not by a stretch. It's mm. one of the poorest selling pay-per-views they've ever done, right? In terms mm. of attendance and stuff. But it's still going to be in a nice basketball arena. It's still going to look and feel big. Um, if I can offer some gentle criticisms of FTR, I know there's something of a sacred cow for a lot of people, but some <laughs> gentle criticisms. They're, I think they're the best tag team in the world, full disclosure. But um, these longer, more dramatic matches do bring out some of their worst tendencies, I think. I think that, in particular, um, the dual submission holding hands to prevent each other from tapping out spot and the, uh, we spoke about this the other day, Hamlet. the 30 minutes have elapsed, everyone's back on their feet getting round of applause and we're starting afresh. I'm sick of it. Yeah. The West Side Story standoff, I'm sick of it. Those two spots in particular are symptomatic of some of their worst instincts, which is like a, a Shawn Michaels level of melodrama. And I've seen both so often, particularly in FTR matches, uh, that I'm, they kind of pull me out of it a little bit when they do it. It's almost like a checklist. Exactly. Mm. To a degree, exactly. I feel like I see, you know, that the hand-holding spot like two or three times a year when it would have so much more effect if, you know, when they first did it in the DIY match, if the first time I saw that, again, was like like last month, yeah. like six years had yeah. elapsed between the two, it would mean so much more. So I hope that this uh, match doesn't become too excessive in that regard, right? But I do think that the ceiling for it is tag team match of the year uh, level. Wow. I think the Aussie Open, as of yet in AEW, have not had that opportunity to show the caliber of tag team they are, that people who've been watching Rev Pro and companies like that uh, understand they are capable of. Um, they've, not, they've just not been pushed to that degree yet. Uh, and it'll come eventually. It will come. Um, but I think the ceiling for this is extremely high. I am just a little bit fearful of it becoming just a little flabby and a little overdramatic. Yeah, I agree. I think FTR retain, but I do like the idea of Aussie Open with the story that they've had building up to this match, hitting something big early on, as in like the first minute or two, to make you think, oh my God, is this going to be like a 90-second match? Yeah, I, I don't think it was an accident when they um, put them on television next to each other. Really like the first time in AEW, and it was as if, like, Aussie Open had arrived with, like, six-inch lifts in their smart dress shoes <laughs> in those suits. And it was like, wow, they're not just taking on a team that we've heard. Like, if, uh, like to Murray's point, if you haven't seen the match from last year, and AW fans might not have done, mm -hmm. you might have just heard about it. And it's like, no, any of you been told about this team that are virtual equals to Dax and Cash. Now you're seeing that they're also twice their size. I think that was a useful 
like visual aid ahead of this match because if I'm honest, as a kayfabe story, I've been pretty unimpressed with the build to this. But this is one of them situations. I think AEW exists in its own grey area. It's the first mainstream company to be able to take advantage of this where they know a lot of their fans are in the weeds and they'll take some chances on that as a storyline driver. If you look on Cage Match and you believed everything you've seen on AEW television to be real, Aussie Open should be nowhere near the titles. They've been brought in as kind of like, they've been brought in to provide a service, and unfortunately most of that has been to lose. They were Osprey's running buddies that could get beat. They were there to lose to MJF and Adam Cole. Inexplicably, they were the team chosen to lose to Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara when we were pretending they were still friends. Probably that was something to do with like, again, for the boys rather than for the fans. It was like, well, I want to get, like, let's just assume that was Chris Jericho being nice and say, I want to give them some TV time. But it's all looking at the lights at the end. So if you're just watching it and accepting the fiction as reality, they're nowhere near this. But I think this is AEW leaning on what they know their fans know. So they are aware that this match last year was a, like more than a cult classic. They are aware that Aussie Open have more to offer than maybe what you've seen. And it's almost going to be like a surprise on the night. They're going to they're gonna push FDR to the limits. It's all going to be very like Dax doing, I ain't no advocate for being a manly man, but I think it's about time you shook my goddamn head. Maybe I'll take my beautiful wife and my beautiful daughter to Australia on our next holiday. You've changed my mind, Carl Flitch. Tequila! <laughs> um, maybe I will subscribe to Amazon and check out that Neighbours you people see. <laughs> but um, I think there'll be all that at the end. Yeah. All very gritty and handshaking, tequila out of vases. But um, but that'll be the making of Aussie Open because as of yeah. yet on television, they haven't had that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a good night for them. Uh, the ROH tag titles also on the line, of course, on Sunday. In a handicap match, it is What Culture Wrestling's new favourite tag team, The Righteous. I can't click my fingers. <laughs> Pretend I'm doing it. <laughs> versus MGF representing the team of MGF and Adam Cole. Get well soon, of course, Adam Cole, unless it's all a work, which is a weird conversation. We're not getting into that. MGF <laughs> versus The Righteous. Who wins? MGF. Uh, the Righteous can be grateful that MJF didn't have an opportunity to cut a promo on them other than calling them freaky deaky douchebags. It's like, you've almost killed them there, Max. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good job he wasn't given a minute longer. Um, look, this could be, I don't like The Righteous. Uh, I don't think acts like theirs. It's not about the wrestlers. Of course it's not. Like Dutch does that flip dive that kicks ass. Yeah. Right? But like, it's not, I don't, I don't think this act works in a company that still leans more on a sporting framework that AEW does. Sentiment of impact, or if Lucha Underground was still a thing, the Righteous would be perfect. I think that's, you can have five minutes of thinking it quite funny that this act specifically is somehow interacting with MJF, yeah, of all people. MJF will do that. MJF will do that, and he will sort of... A little wanker. And a, like, a little bit of a wank <laughs> sign. Like, one of them's getting kangaroo kicked. Um, I think Roddy Strong in the Kingdom will be make their presence felt and appear to be trying to screw MJF and inadvertently help him win. Yeah. I think their distraction will go wrong, and they will cause the righteous to lose, and then you've got your first plausible deniability on the side of the kingdom. Thus far, it's been like, which way are MJF and Adam Cole going to go? Now Cole, as he convalesces, is going to be like, see, Max, like now that you understand that we can all have more than one friend, Roddy gets it too. And that's, that's the latest strain of tension between all of these characters. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to the way they book this, obviously, in a handicap match. But MGF could do this in his sleep. 
Yeah, this match is really testament, I think, actually, to the variety on this show, right? Yeah. So, like, this is going to be the most storyline. It's going to be the most WWE-style match on the show, right? Yes. <laughs> um, which, hey, listen, that main event all in, I know a lot of people didn't like it. I thought it was absolutely superb mm. and a wonderful execution of that style of tropey, pro, yeah. big theater, pro yeah. wrestling. Um Elsewhere on the show, we got the, the the best two technical wrestlers in the world, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. We've got the two toughest men in the world, which we're about to talk about. Um, you've got the the, the the tag match, with the contendership match, which will be a spot fest. Um, you've got all sorts of variety on this card. This is the most story-driven one of them all in terms of how it will be on the night. The build to the match, uh, I think the righteous' emergence as contenders could have definitely been handled better. Um, I think that the priority here quite transparently was to get MJF and Cole on the card in some capacity so you can further their storyline. Um, the conversation on The Righteous I find incredibly interesting um, because the, the, the instinct for me as an enjoyer of really simplistic, uh, I'm the best, no, I'm the best, let's find out who's who, just straightforward athlete first pro wrestling. For me, my first instinct is to look at this kind of stuff and go, that's not for me. It's not for me. The thing I'll say about them is that they're not on camera casting spells and doing supernatural stuff, right? Yeah. They're speaking obtusely, uh, definitely. They are um, maybe using words that we don't really have context to, like the way, the way they talk about seeing the truth in the liar's eyes and bits and pieces like this. I feel like we need to know a bit more about what that truth is at the moment. I'm not saying we need to be spoon-fed every single character detail or anything like that, mm -hmm. right? But it is just about on the on the wrong side of obtuse and interesting. Um, obviously, if they go down the route and the righteous are teleporting to the ring now and, uh, <laughs> you know, they're breathing fire and stuff, uh, yes, then it, then it becomes something that's difficult to justify in this framework. Uh, on the other, on the other shade, <laughs> that, see, I can do the gimmicks. Uh, it's the this studio, man. It does something that, that it, and the purple lights. Uh, <laughs> it changes you, man. Uh, on the <laughs> opposite end of the spectrum Good. to this, uh, I think that the aesthetic is really cool. I love the white attire. I think that the way those videos are shot, the, the vignettes, where they're bright, and it's summery and sunny. It looks like midsummer or something, mm -hmm. right? I think that the aesthetic is really cool. I think that they can both talk. I think that they can both wrestle. I think that the finger clicking is going to get over to a crazy degree. It has been an hour off. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I think by the end of the year, and it's, it's such a strange thing. He's just clicking his fingers. I think it's going to get over, and I think arenas will be doing that yeah. by the end of the year. I think that Vincent, I love the the dig what I'm saying, man. Obviously, he's been doing. They've been doing this for years. This act for years. Mm -hmm. It had Bateman in it originally uh, in Ring of Honor as well. And uh, now it's just the two of them. They've got. They've had Stu Grayson in the orbit, whatever, whatever. Uh, I'm willing to give the Righteous a chance. I'm. I'm kind of into this act at the moment. I am giving it a chance. Um, to not become terribly supernatural. And the House of Black aren't really that, right? They have the odd parlor trick here and there. They do vignettes where they're walking in and out of lights and stuff, but that's not something that could unreasonably exist in this world. Uh, they uh, sometimes do lights on, lights off gimmick, but you can justify that in your head by going, ah, sky in the production area, yeah. helping mm -hmm. them out, whatever, whatever. I'm totally fine with that line of presentation because the House of Black are my favorite stable in the world <laughs> for a multitude of reasons, some of which have absolutely nothing to do with wrestling. Um, with regards to the actual match, MJF is going to win for the reasons Hamlet said. <laughs> Uh, let's go move on now, uh, Andy, to a match. Uh, I'm dubbing uh, Braun versus the man who had his brain removed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Kingston, Katsuyori Shibata uh, for the RH World title and, of course, the strong open weight championship. 
Just so happy for Eddie Kingston to get this match. It's another another one of these wrestlers who's been rehabilitated this year, right? Yeah. Like, because Eddie had a pretty rotten 2022 in a lot of ways, the Jericho feud, those losses and stuff. So some of that stuff was absolutely inexplicable. Obviously, he had the injury uh, that he had to recover from, which derails anyone a lot of the time. Uh, then just when he came back, it was like, oh, cool, Eddie's back. He's off to Japan. And obviously, him going off yeah. to Japan to do the G1 was ace. It was great fun. Uh, and he got to meet Kawada and all this stuff. And it's like, it's a great thing across the board. But if you're just an AEW fan and you're not interested in the mm -hmm. New Japan stuff, mm -hmm. it's probably a bit of a bummer. But now he's back and he's winning titles. And for me, like this match is as real as the man himself. Because Eddie loves wrestling these matches with his heroes. He loves wrestling these, these just legendary Japanese wrestlers that he's appreciated for years. And it's real. It's not a storyline. Eddie wants to, like, wrestle these people. He wants to wear Kawada's colors and beat his career rival, Claudio Castagnoli, with a powerbomb that he promised to his idol he was going to win with. Like, this stuff means something to him. And as a result, it means something to me as a viewer uh, and as someone who considers Eddie one of his favorite wrestlers of all time. So him and Shibata is just a continuation of that. It's a continuation of him wrestling Ishii. It's a continuation of him wrestling his ultimate favorite wrestler, Junaki Yama, which was, you know, another one for the freaks. Those matches like that are for the freaks. It's a continuation of what Hamlet was saying earlier with the FTR Aussie Open match of relying on your audience's ability to be in the weeds mm. and stuff like that. It's for the freaks, um, which I consider myself one. It's a, it's a compliment, not an yes. insult. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, I think Shibata, like we saw how appreciative he is when he had his, uh, when he was using the translator uh, in the press conference after the last Ring of Honor pay-per-view, thanking Tony Khan for giving him the opportunity that maybe doesn't exist in New Japan. We don't know that's a bit murky mm -hmm. to have these matches and have this run. And obviously it's, it's not quite the Shibata of old and rightfully so because, you know, the style obviously contributed to the to the terrible ordeals that he's yeah, had to yeah. had to endure. So, you know, the matches maybe don't have quite the same level of spite and venom in them, but it doesn't matter to me um, because it's just nice having this man back. Mm. Um, it's the thing I'm obviously looking most forward to. It plays most of my sensibilities. Yeah. Uh, wrestling to me is entirely subjective, uh, unless you're talking about things like gates and ticket sales and ratings mm. and stuff. Uh, and to me, this is like just, I don't need anything more than these two being on the card opposite each other. It's deeply personal. Kingston to win? Kingston to win. Yeah, when you said you were happy for Eddie Kingston, I was thinking I was just happy for Andy Murray. Like this one, <laughs> if you've got a big Wrestle Dream logo, that you could just put Andy Murray's above it for this match <laughs> yeah. graphic. I, like, yeah. I saw them flash up. I was like, there, that is like, and this is it. Like I've just talked about Jeff Jarrett. Like th this AEW thing, being for everybody thing, can still be a thing. Like, they have yeah. the access to the wrestlers and the roster flexibility, and you know, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm mixed on this one. I am lower. I'm as low on Eddie Kingston as I've ever been probably since he started in AW because I don't feel emotionally like I've quite recovered from his 2022. But Grand Slam was this big... What's those things they give the people like that? The, like, Cattle prod. Something like that. But like, <laughs> shocking people back to life. Oh, defibrillator. Like, yeah, I felt, like, <laughs> I felt like that match against Claudio had the defibrillators put on me. Like, I didn't like the Ring of Honor one. I was a low guy on that. And I was like, so I wasn't super hyped going into <laughs> the Grand Slam. It's my match of the year. I know, yeah. This is it. Like, uh, That's going the beauty the, of it, though. Yeah. yeah. We're going to the Grand Slam one. I was like, oh, my God, Claudia's wearing my sour pants. This is going to be great. And then the atmosphere and the whole deal, it was perfect. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm getting back there with Eddie. And again, like Shabbat, you do have to, I'll never forget the feeling 
of Shibata getting booted in the head hard on a New Japan pay-per-view. It was like that feeling of, Jesus Christ, he's back. Yeah. And then he wasn't. It was really like you felt so close, and then you were kind of asked to like take another step back from it. So it's been a bit of a, an up-and-down experience watching Shibata's return. Um, but I think this will bring the best out of him. I think this is a hard... Uh, skill a master, as we've seen with plenty of failed NXT attempts. But I think Eddie Kingston will do quite a good job of not really wanting to hurricane the man who had his head scooped <laughs> up and, and then having to do it. Like, I think he's this is not going to be the CM Punk match. He's not going in with that. He's going to no. want to have a fight and just hope that it... I, I don't want to have to have this fight where I absolutely knock your block off Shabbat, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. Like, and I think by the end, when he does it for real, it's going to feel really impactful. The issue on Arma, me and you watching that together, Murray, and issue not wanting to shake his hand. Yeah. Remember that? Like, oh, like that. <laughs> we had a fight. I'm not okay with this. And I'm like... They will get there by the end, and you will see that like that mutual respect eroded away as the strikes get harder. And I think this will, I think this will generate one of the more unique atmospheres on the night. It's I'm not as high on it right now, but I feel like it's going to be one of the things I'm most high mm. about after the show's finished. Before we get to Brian Danielson versus ZSJ, uh, we have to talk about the six man Chris Jericho and the Golden Elite versus the Don Callis family, and of course the Don Callis family's newest member, Sari, Sammy Guevara. So I think this is more interesting than the one that we were served at All In. Genuinely, I do. I think, like, part of the problem and the, obviously the incredible day on X about the arrangement of that match was that people were basically trying to attach a story that was years old onto something that was brand new. This exists within AEW. We've seen Sammy Guevara be courted by and join the Don Callis family. We've seen what Don Callis has done to Kiryu, um to Konosuke Takeshita and what they've done to Kenny Omega as a way to try and end him basically mm. um so and then chris jericho as this feels less like the like leeching and clout chasing that he does in some of the other stories this feels like he is part of this organically he's had this thing with sammy guevara i kind of love jericho and omega teaming together like we were talking about this the other day aw is four years old now there is enough law that characters that have feuded forever can now suddenly find themselves on the same side. One day, Kenny Omega and John Moxley are going to team up. How weird's that going to be? Oh. Because of how we've seen them fight in AEW. And I love stuff like that, that AEW's old enough now to do things like that. So seeing Jericho and Omega, the two men that many are credited in 2018 with kind of kick-starting this movement, you know, the Alpha and Omega working together for the first time, I think is really neat. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot. I think the, the ceiling on this match quality-wise is lower than the sum of its part, like an Omega match at Takeshi. There's a lot of people in there that could make this great. And I think ultimately... The trios element of it lowers that somewhat. You have to measure your expectations. Ibushi's a wild card on that front as well. But I think there's, dare I say it, I think there's a lot of story here that will make this one of the hotter matches of the night. Yeah. He heels to win. Sorry, heels to win as well. I think so. I think the Jericho Guevara stuff has been well played. And um, Sammy just looks like a piece of trash in that <laughs> way. You know, when he's he's such a good looking guy, but he's got one of the most slappable faces in wrestling. So when you deck him out in the 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 nice fit the nice fitting trousers and the Hawaiian shirt, he looks like I, I want to kill him. Yeah. It's 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 a good presentation of him. Obviously there's been a bit of debate on his promos and stuff and whatever. And those are fair conversations for sure. Mm. Um but him and uh, Takeshita and uh, Osprey is a ridiculously dynamic. Yeah. That's a, an obscenely explosive in-ring combination of gentlemen. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they mesh. Um, my concerns regarding this match do come from Kota Ibushi, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, the performances so far have been what they have been. Uh, I think that actually... Uh, All In was a little bit more telling than Blood and Guts because he had to do a little bit more and, you know... 
there was uh, moments where he couldn't get over the ropes in time, and there was obviously the 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 what do they call their um what do they call their 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 tandem moonsault? Oh yeah, I was gonna. Say, it's not the golden trigger because that's the kick. Yeah, isn't it? I, I can't. I can't yeah. remember. I can't remember what they call it. But obviously, he he had the unfortunate slip, and like I'm not one to harp on botches whatsoever. I think that's like little prick behavior, Frank. <laughs> it's like someone who's more skilled than, uh, 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 has more skill in their uh, pinky finger yeah. than the idiots who who just like laugh at people's mistakes online and stuff. But it is fair to appraise the work that Kota Ibushi has yeah. put forward so far and thus far he has not looked like Kota Ibushi, which no. is really unfortunate. So for me, um, I would love him to, to, to have a rust shaking off performance here. Uh, I am dubious as to if he can be that again. He was out for a long, long time, uh, and he had a lot of recovery ahead of him. And he was talking even after the Mike Bailey match he had over WrestleMania weekend of feeling like he wasn't fully recovered. So that might still be the case. Yeah. Um, I'll give him every chance in the world because he's one of the greatest wrestlers in ring of all time to do that. As far as the winner goes, I think the Don Callis family should win. Does Daniel Garcia factor into this at all for you? Or is that safe for a later date? I think they'll save that for a later date. We've already got the big time storyline driven stuff with the MJF match. Uh, we've got uh, Roddy Strong and everything interfering in that, blah, 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 blah. If we're going to do that kind of thing where an outsider comes in and not an outsider, but, you know, a peripheral storyline mm -hmm. figure comes in, uh, I think you should save that to one match. We should say as well, like, Chris Jericho was part of that Forbidden Door opener last year that was one of like the best matches on that incredible card. And we've talked at length about his kind of his ability <laughs> to help craft these tag matches and just how good he is as a wrestler, uh, agent in, if not just his part in it, other people's parts in it. So if you're going to obscure, say, Ibushi shortcomings and then sort of highlight whatever Osprey and Omega do together in those incredible fleet and seconds that they'll be in the ring, like Jericho is one of the better guys to have out there helping put all that together. And I'm here I am again on a podcast saying he's going to be good, which probably means he's going to be terrible. You never get it right when no. you pick what Jericho's going to do. Maybe I should say he's going to be rubbish. Yeah. There we go. There we and go. then this match bangs. <laughs> uh, right, we're finally here. Andy Murray, um, presumably the main event. Brian Danielson versus ZSJ. So excited for this. Mm, the two best technical wrestlers in the world. <sighs> Again, it's the simple build, isn't it? They were supposed to wrestle in the original Forbidden Door. That could not happen. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. in that wonderful promo after the Claudio match declared himself furious. Um, and here we are a couple of years later. It's one of those ones where it's not like the product of this incredible story that's been on television. Uh, it's the product of real-life circumstances. And uh, engineering those into a really simple feud framework is exactly the kind of stuff. A product of the Wrestling Observer Awards. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you changed the name, brother. Um, <laughs> Uh, to me, this is what it's all about. This is the wrestling I enjoy. Uh, this is the simplicity I enjoy. I like wacky stuff as well. Don't oh, yeah. get me wrong. But this is the stuff I re that really speaks to me. Um, ceiling for this is the match of the year. Um, Zach, a lot of people, you know, New Japan's not as hot as it used to be. Zach has had a tremendous year with that television belt and the shorter matches, which again speaks to me. I'm a huge fan of the 15-minute banger versus the 40-minute epic mm. uh, a lot of the time. This will be of an epic form, I imagine. But the, the Zack Sabre Jr.'s formula for, I don't know, like 10 years has, has had like a three-and-a-half-star floor because you can slot anyone into Zack's stuff and it makes sense. You can put... Uh, 
phenomenal technical wrestler in there with Zack, and he, they will just like tie each other in knots the whole match. You can put uh, Tomohiro Ishii in that formula, and it becomes a story of Zack tying him in knots while Tom has to use his brute force to, to fight his way out of there. You can put him in there with a much bigger wrestler, uh, like a Gunther or a Walter back in the day, uh, and it becomes uh, like Zack's like tying himself around this massive structure that he needs to <laughs> negotiate. Zack's formula is the most foolproof thing in pro wrestling. Um, so I love the, the guy to the end of the earth. I, I, I think that um, in terms of his personality and stuff, I love his snotty English isms. Like I, I love him saying things like showing technical wrestling to Americans is like reading Shakespeare to a dog. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's so sharp tongued without yeah. being a traditionally great pro wrestling yeah. talker and stuff. It's a dream match. It's a literal dream match. It's the very definition of that phrase. I keep saying this. It's my new narrative. Z uh, Brian Danielson among active wrestlers is the one you can make the most credible GOAT candidate or case for. I think that this final year of his career, if he can hold himself to that standard, and Danielson's a freak. He might not. He's a freak for wrestling. Uh, he might not in the end. Who knows? But he does care for his family obviously mm. it's more important um this last year of his is going to be completely insane i think it could be legitimately i think this next 12 months could be one of the greatest individual years a pro wrestler has ever had because i think he's going to go nuts mm -hmm. uh, and i think he's going to go nuts in this match in a completely different way to the ricky starks matches which were more about simmering hatred and and and, and weaponry and various other things um i i cannot wait for this i think uh it has match of the year ceiling yeah i agree um i think it's easy to say, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, but I would have, I like to think I would have said this had a higher ceiling than the Danielson Okada match, even if that wasn't a bit of a disappointment, because I just think there's a, it's a bit of a, like, it's a clash of styles, but it's a much cleaner one. Like, Okada's slow build is the sort of thing that, in theory, you should guarantee a hot ending by, but obviously that was hamstrung by Brian's injury, uh, which was going to, like, dampen the spirits a little bit as they moved into the stretch. Whereas with Zack Sabre Jr., uh, even when it's not hot, it's kind of hot because he will allow, like, he's such a patient build-up guy. He will allow crowds to go quiet or the noise and the energy to dip because what he does when that's happening is kind of forces people to, like, lean in. You know that Lenny from The Simpsons thing? <laughs> like, force people to lean in. And when you lean in and look, what you see is a limb being bent backwards or uh, so that you almost don't feel your own anticipation for something building until he snaps an arm. And then you go, oh, and it's not because of the snap. It's because you've just watched two minutes of very careful manipulation yeah. to get into the position yeah. for that snap. Brian is going to give him all of that and then counter with some of his own, which is going to rattle Zack Sabre Jr. Like, it's great when Zack goes a good few minutes before he's even taken a proper bump. And I could well imagine that off like a shotgun drop kick or something. Yeah. And like, Zack's done really well to roll around for a little bit. And then he just takes a really hard one in the chest and... Forced to his back for the first time. So you're quite into seeing Zach take a hit for the first time. I think all that stuff, there is more, like I say, there's just more in the slow build with Zach and Danielson that probably was ever going to be between Brian and Okada. And then when it was about to get hot, it couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's going to be an issue in this one. Um, I think they'll play with Brian's like early recovery. I think you'll be told by commentators he did come back Ooh. maybe a bit too soon. The arm work is going to be absurd. Yeah, is oh, that arm yeah. hanging off again? And I think Zach wins by tap out as a result of that. Wow. Like, he has um, the New Japan Cup run where he tapped all your hunks. The G1s where he He's is basically... hunk himself as well. Yeah, well, yeah. The G1s where he has gone up against the heavy, heavy favourites and taken more points off them than the Toriano because you just cannot do anything when you're trapped in orienteering uh, with Napalm Death or one of those moves that he doesn't unleash unless he absolutely has to. 
Like, I think he either taps him or he does that European clutch pin yeah. that has also beaten the very, very best. Danielson, for all that Murray's right, and I think if this is it, is going to go on the run of a lifetime, is the guy that will probably want to put more people over than, he, than go over himself yeah. on this run. It's the story of his career. It is. And what a huge win, especially if this goes on last for a guy that might not be around again until Forbidden Door, but is immediately then suddenly yeah. in the conversation for one of the biggest matches on that show. Talk about, like, protecting your investment and doing a favour by your business partner. Like, is there a bigger one than having a New Japan, a, a strapped-up New Japan guy going over in your pay-per-view main event? Like, this is a free hit for Tony Khan to, like, curry favour on a show that he himself has said he used to scribble down in the back of his book as a tribute to Anoki. See, I just presume you'd both be going for Danielson. Are you... What are you leaning towards? I oh god, I didn't pick anyone, yeah. did I? I think that Danielson's going to go over. Okay. He he's a, he obviously he has that history of being extremely generous in who he puts over, and that's to his credit in in a lot of ways, but also sometimes to his detriment because you're like, oh come on, Brian, you should have got you know, <laughs> go over, brother, you're the best. Um, but I think it's it's just such a fascinating match that I would expect either. I would I would totally accept either yeah. outcome in this. I think that Hamlet is dead, right? I think the story is going to be ten minutes of Zach uh, countering everything Danielson does on mm-hmm. the match before it opens up and Brian starts demonstrating the tools that he has that Zach doesn't, because um, Danielson can do it all. Um, before Zach sets one of his traps and finally gets the guy, I think the arm work's going to be exquisite. I think that particularly because Zach's technical work is not just grab a hold and wrench it. Make it look like a struggle and all that stuff. It's, okay, I'm going to grab your arm, but now I'm going to pull the forearm this way. Oh, Oh, by the way, the wrist's going backwards, and I'm going to take those two fingers and pull them this way as well. It's like he's driving, but like with the reverse effect of a sat-nav. He doesn't want to go the quick route. He wants to go every single scene. He wants to get to the (laughs) same destination, which is break your frigging arm. They're so (laughs) elaborate. They're so elaborate. He's not just getting to the beach and unpacking a picnic. You know, he's brought the grill with him, and he's setting it up, and he's cooking the meat and all of this stuff, obviously now, because he's a vegetarian. Uh, that's a terrible example. Tofu, tofu there, there you go. go. Can you grill tofu? I don't know. Jay uh, White's working. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait. Uh, yeah. This is, it's probably going to be the first pay-per-view that I watch uh, during the freak hours of 1am here in the UK <laughs> uh, in a long, long time. I'll send time. you some serial recommendations. Yeah. I can't wait. Like from start to finish, the build to this pay-per-view has been like, here you go, Andy Murray. Yeah. Enjoy. And I appreciate that more people want more story and whatever, whatever, whatever. This is for me. Every other show, that's for you. <laughs> well, let us know your predictions in the comments. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to the What Culture Wrestling Podcast YouTube channel for our live Wrestle Dream review on Tuesday. My thanks to Hamlet, to Andy. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 